Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I've got uh, Dr. Brandon Broyles here with me again, and special treat, his brother Brady. So I've got the two Broyles brothers with me. And thank goodness I do, because I'm so woefully uneducated on this topic. And um, But I'm going to do the um, my best to present an overview of what this podcast is about. So I was talking with uh, Brandon, and we thought, you know, it'd be interesting. It was actually Brandon's idea about the, the sheer uh, magnitude of what's involved at the Passover festival when uh, the temple was still in place in Jerusalem and the, the, the day of sacrifice in which sacrificial animals actually did occur at the uh, Passover festival. So the context would be around the years 37 to 44 AD and what exactly occurred in Jerusalem during the Passover festival and what it was involved with the sheer volume of people and the number of animals involved in their their day, their one day of sacrifice. Brady did some research and discovered that there actually is, we have some hard numbers to go on for the number of uh, animals that were sacrificed, which he'll get into. And so we were able to actually contextualize what this day would have been like if you had been present. And we thought it was so interesting that it was worth investigating and doing a podcast over. So here's Brady Broyles uh, to explain to us more uh, to the point and relevant about this festival in particular by giving us an overview of the, the various feasts. Yeah, so there were seven major feasts that were uh, observed by the Israelites and then the Jews um, as it transitioned into Judaism. Those, those being Passover, uh, which led into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, Feast of First Fruits, which actually took place in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was followed up later by the Feast of Weeks, also called Shavuot or Pentecost or the Feast of Harvest. Then came the Feast of Trumpets, um, also known as Rosh Hashanah. That was then followed up by the Day of Atonement, or as many are aware, it's called Yom Kippur. And then the last being the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Sukkot or the Feast of the Ingathering. Um, of these seven major feasts that they observed, there were three that required the males, all Jewish males, to present themselves before the Lord at Jerusalem. And these three major feasts consisted of the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or the other various names that it is also known by. Um, so today we're going to be specifically talking about the Passover, which the the Passover itself occurred on the 14th day of the first month at twilight, which the the literal meaning of twilight was between the two evenings. Um, this, this first month was originally called Abib, um, but after the Babylonian captivity, the month was known as Nisan, uh, the, the particulars regarding the, 
the rules and laws around the Passover feast are laid out in Exodus chapter 2 while the uh, Israelites were still in bondage in Egypt and getting ready to exit the country, obviously. Um, it's a festival celebrating that exodus from Egypt and the Israelites' freedom. Um, the Feast of Passover, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was the first of the festivals to be commanded by God for Israel to observe. Commemorations today involve a special meal called the Seder, featuring unleavened bread and other food items symbolic of various aspects of the Exodus. It's also interesting, of course, for Christians like us to uh, consider the foreshadowing that the Passover served for Christ. You know, like Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ is our Passover or the Paschal Lamb, his blood covering our sins wherein we will not receive the penalty that we're due, which is death. Um, just like the blood for the Israelites um, was applied to their dwelling place for the angel to pass over, Christ's blood is applied to us spiritually as we are the dwelling place of his spirit and then collectively the dwelling place of God as the church. Brady asked me to clarify that he actually meant Exodus chapter 12, verse 2 through 13 in his um, explanation that he just gave. So while I am clarifying that, and this is after the fact, I mean, we've already met and recorded our podcast together, and I'm just clarifying that it was actually Exodus 12, 2 through 13. But while I'm doing it, I thought I would also just read these verses to give some more context. Uh, this month shall be for you in the, for this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts in the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. 
I am the Lord. Just to clarify up front, there's a lot of um, various topics that we could uh, go into to try to elucidate what we're talking about more to the to the layman, to the uninitiated. But we're assuming that our, our listener has some knowledge of, you know, of things so that we don't go off on too many rabbit trails and, and stay focused on the, our topic at hand. Just to mention that up front, because I know I have a tendency to um, go off into irrelevant things and, you know, just ask uh, Whitney, you know, especially when we're trying to buy a car or something like that. But uh, uh, so we're, we're going to stay focused and, and they're not going to entertain my various uh, silly questions. <laughs> But, uh, but that's not to say I won't ask silly questions. By the way, let me say up front that any silly questions that I ask, I own on my, my own. They're my own, you know, uh, faults. And just because these guys are doing a podcast with me does not mean that my uh, ignorance is, is shared by any stretch. So, but, I, and, and, but also to say we will likely come follow this with, um, maybe some episodes that do discuss some of these other things of the importance and why things were a certain way and what they foreshadowed uh, later on. Yeah, thanks, man. So we'll continue here next with, uh, we just want to give an overview, kind of talk about what, what the sacrifice or the animals sacrificed on the Passover were and the specifications of those animals. Um, if you are familiar with the story in Exodus, um, you know, you already know that um, the lambs were the primary sacrifice that each person provided. Um, Brady mentioned the month. So on the 10th day of the month, the the lambs were chosen. They were to be of a year of age. In some of our research, it seems that that means they could have been from eight days to a year old. But um, later on here in a little bit, when we talk about um, kind of the numbers and some things with these uh, day of sacrifice, um, we're going to be using more of closer to a year old lamb, because if you read in Exodus chapter 12, it talks about, you know, providing enough meat for the number of people that are going to be there. So if you have a family, you're going to you obviously need more than an eight-day-old lamb. Yeah. Um, so, um, but they were chosen on the 10th day of the month. They were watched uh, and presented to the priest uh, to be sure that they were without blemish and fit the the requirements, then they were watched for four days, and on the 14th day is the day that they were actually uh, presented to the temple to be slaughtered. Um, and then we'll talk a little more about what went on from there later. Also, on the same day, um, because it was Passover, each, each, I think, we're good with saying family, right? Or each group of people that we're going to celebrate together presented a lamb. 
So we'll talk a little bit in a minute about how many that would have been per people or something. But um, So we're going to have all these lambs presented. And then also on the same day, you have the morning and evening sacrifice that was done perpetually. Um, well, as long as they were in the times they were doing it. And then also on the Passover day, they were also collectively to present two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old without defect. So beyond all of the individual Jewish lambs, you had these other ones that were to be sacrificed that day as well at the temple and altar. So we want to, from here, we want to kind of talk about, it, you know, we have all of these lambs and animals coming to the temple that have to be sacrificed and slaughtered. Uh, we're just going to kind of discuss how that seems to have taken place at the time there at the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, so on that day as people arrived at the Temple Mount with their Passover lambs, um, you know, naturally, just like we do today, they'd get there early and wait for the temple courtyard doors to open. When they when they priests finally did open the doors, they would separate the people into three groups to make this process as efficient as possible. Uh, as the first group entered, the gates would be closed behind them and the ram's horn was sounded. The stones of the altar and the ramp leading to the altar, as well as the temple sanctuary itself, had been whitewashed with plaster just for this occasion. The side of the sparkling clean temple probably was magnificent. It's probably hard for us to really picture what that was. And I'm sure as most of our listeners are well aware, uh, the temple itself was just an incredible sight um, after all the money and work that Herod the Great had put into that temple. Um, so then once inside the courtyards, the people obviously killed their animals and a priest would catch the blood of the sacrifice in a basin. Other priests were standing in these lines, uh, handing off, as basins were filled with blood, then they would be handed a empty basin. Uh, these basins were silver and gold. Um, this exchange would continue on down the line until the last priest tossed the blood up on the altar. They, it is assumed by many that the altar had a red line around the middle that separated the sacrificial blood tossed above the line from that tossed below the line, as may have been the practice of Passover. So, just to, so all the, every person's lamb, the priest, you know, when we're going to say their throats were most likely slit um, as the means of executing them. Um, and then with these basins, the priest then caught the blood um, in the basin, which was then transferred through this line. It was We know from the Old Testament because the blood had to be sprinkled on the altar, right? Right. And, and so that's where you get this assembly line of, of catching the... the the lamb's throat slit, they catch the blood in the basement and then they pass it down the line and, and toss it on the altar. Right, because you got to understand the magnitude of this kind of event. It's a 
all hands on deck type of event that everything's been at this point, you know, or throughout the years, you know, quite an efficient process has been in place, you know, and different interesting aspects like all of the priests on this day would wear scarlet robes uh, so that if any of the blood spilt on them, it wouldn't be noticeable. Um, Which you would imagine is likely given that, and if we're going to, I'm jumping ahead, but in our, uh, we're talking about around 600,000 lambs being killed today in, in, on this day, uh, they're probably going to get blood on them. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after the sacrifice, actually, after they would kill the lamb and let the blood fall into the basin, then they're going to basically get shoved out of the way, um, metaphorically, you know, keeping this process rolling all day. Um, so they would then hang their lambs up on the hooks. We're, we're still in the temple courts. Um, so if, if all the hooks were in use to hang up your animal at that point, uh, men would hold staves between their shoulders and the carcasses were hung from those staves um, held up by other men. So the lambs were then flayed or, or skinned and taken home to be roasted. Most people or most listeners might be kind of envisioning, you know, field dressing a deer or something, but that's not what happened because all of the animal was roasted over the fire, entrails and everything. Mm. Um, they didn't gut them. Correct. Mm. Correct. Is basically they would would slit their throats, bleed them over for over the basin for the the blood of mm -hmm. the sacrifice, and then skinned them, and that's it. I guess I had always envisioned that the that the lamb itself was put on the altar, you know, and not just the blood. But it, that's it, it, there's just no way that would be functionally possible with this volume. Well, lambs. and not on this festival because the the Passover lambs were taken home and and roasted. Mm. You know, the other when we mentioned just a second ago on this day that you have the the morning and evening sacrifice lambs, also plus the bulls plus the other lambs and the goat, all of those I believe would have been on the altar. On the altar. Oh, okay. Uh, don't you agree? Right, and that uh, that's that's also some things that separated this sacrifice and this festival from all the others is that the priest did not sacrifice this animal the actual israelite himself mm -hmm. sacrificed this animal and it's the only this is the only occasion or festival or sacrifice that this that that happens i see um, so if i had been there as a participant i would have had to cut the throat of my own lamb now that I'm not sure, I'm under the impression that the priest would actually slit the throat okay. to make sure that the blood would fall in the basin. But most other sacrifices, you know, were actually put on the altar and burned up, like a burnt offering. Uh -huh. Or the priests themselves would eat what was left over of the offering. And that, none of that occurred on this one, mm -hmm. on the Passover. And that's, that's why the, the individuals were to take their lamb home and eat it with the family at home. Because that is literally what happened in the original Passover story. Correct. The family ate it in haste, right? Right. Yeah. 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 With their loins girded. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, a normal Jewish meal was like, it was a intimate setting um, and a kind of a, I guess you could say a time consuming 
uh, portion of the day because they would be reclining. They would have already bathed. You know, that's when, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. You know, that's normally that would have already occurred because they're lounging around all day versus this one is eating in haste. It's like, hurry up because, yeah, this is all commemorating the real deal when they were coming out of slavery out of Egypt. So we're still in the temple courts. They're skinning their Passover lambs, right? And any of the priests who were not actively involved in the, the assembly line of the blood basins were probably singing a collection of psalms from what's referred to as the Hallel, which are uh, Psalms 113 through 118. So they've just been continually singing those uh, in the temple courts while this is going on. So then uh, each lamb, you know, is slaughtered in the name of the mitzvah, which might be a familiar term to people, although lots of people probably don't know what the term actually means, and it just simply means commandment or covenant, um, which obviously attaches the spiritual uh, importance of this act. So as I described earlier, all the people were separated into three groups. So as as the first group completed their their sacrifice, the, the killing of the lamb and skinning it, the, the priest would completely wash down, whitewash the entire temple court area again in between each group. Um, so again, just to try to paint this picture, this was quite the production and process and had to be completed in an extremely efficient manage, manner for, for this amount of animals to be sacrificed and this many duties to be accomplished in, in one day. Um, another interesting fact is that the, the poor or any people without families, you know, widows or orphans or whatever, would be assigned to determine predetermined groups by the elders of Israel so that no one was allowed to be absent from the Passover meal and no one was allowed to go hungry. So now that I've kind of discussed the, the chain of events that would have taken place, I think most people probably would be pretty interested to know and in, in helping paint this mental picture. Like how many people are there? How many animals are being sacrificed, etc.? And like how, how can we arrive at any legitimate number? So there are a couple ways that are things that I looked at in doing my research, one of which was, you know, towards the end of David's reign, everybody's pretty familiar with King David, towards the end of his reign, he conducted a census um, of the nation, which sinfully, of course, but nevertheless, his uh, commander Joab conducted the census as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 24. He, uh, he counted the males who were 20 years of age and older, and after he had counted them through the 11 tribes, not counting Benjamin, the total sum was 1.3 million males. Now, naturally, that doesn't mean that at Passover, each of those males was required to provide their own lamb, right? As we have alluded to multiple times now, it, it was a family unit would be generally a minimum of 10, between 10 and 19 individuals. Um, but that gives you an idea of the size of the nation, at least, at the end of David's reign. And then if you fast forward into the first century A.D., um, you know, we had different references like Josephus at the time of the destruction of the temple in AD 70, discussing how many Jews were killed in Jerusalem, 
which was during this same time frame as, as Passover, um, which is why so many Jews were there, that it, it was also uh, in excess of a million people. But then uh, finally in, uh, in the Mishnah, which is one part of the Talmud, under the Pesachim section, which Pesachim is just the Hebrew plural of Pesach, which is the Hebrew word for what we call Passover in English. So under this section, it you know details all the uh, the traditions and regulations surrounding Passover. Um, there's a section under 64b which discusses King Herod Agrippa I, who was the who reigned from 37 to 44 AD. So this is narrowing this down into a seven-year time frame in the first century AD. He discusses uh, how with the high priest that he wanted to set his eyes on the multitudes in Jerusalem for Passover. And in, in the Pesachim, section 64b, it says that the priest kept track of the kidneys that were removed from the lambs as they were sacrificed for the Passover. At the conclusion of this, the sacrifice um, time period, the total pairs of kidneys were around 600,000 pairs of kidneys. There's a total of 1.2 million kidneys. Hmm. Um, however, it was discussed that this count was probably very conservative because lots of, you know, th this would not have included the un ritually unclean people who's, who were not, um, they still had to be involved with Passover. They still had to have their Passover lamb. They just couldn't present themselves at the temple hmm. because they were unclean. And you've also got to take into account that by between 37 and 44 AD, the gospel has been spread for, we'll just say, you know, plus or minus 10 years mm. easily at this point. So there's a large number of Jews who have converted to Christianity and no longer celebrating mm. the Passover. Mm. So this, this estimate of 600,000 lambs is pretty conservative. Yeah. yeah. So, but... Now that we have a number um, that we've derived from historical writings, then we can kind of give an idea of some specifics of what might have taken place that day um, using that 600,000 number uh, of lambs. So they were separated into three groups, like you said earlier. So this must have been 200,000 on the conservative side per group. Correct. Incredible. I mean, this is like assembly line slaughtering. I yeah, mean, and all this, all this had to take place, you know, between the two evenings. So in an afternoon. So this wasn't like a, we're going to wake up early today because we have a big day of work. That this would not have even started till the afternoon. And all of that sacrifice, that large number, that all has to take place in an afternoon. So they slit the throat. They get the blood, they put the blood on the altar, and then there was some ex probably excess blood. Right. So the leftover blood after each sacrifice was poured at the base. So, well, let me back up. They're going to pour the blood on the altar, like with other uh, offering, you know, sin offering, guilt offerings, right? They're going to pour the blood on the altar, but as, at one point, obviously, you're going to have an insane amount of excess blood. So this excess blood was poured at the base of the altar, or what was called the amah, which is a channel that led out of the courtyard 
and into the Kidron Valley. Uh, this this is also recorded in um, under the Mishnah in this section called the Zebakim in 34b specifically is where I got that information. The uh, people that farmed in the area of the Kidron Valley also used the blood that was the excess blood to fertilize their fields. Interesting. Yeah. And um, since we have, uh, since we know the age of the lambs or a range, and we know we have this number of 600,000, that also gives us an idea of how much total blood may have been flowing on that day. Um, we don't know exactly how much blood was caught in a basin. You know, that if, if the whole animal was bled out into the base, basin or if they just slit the throat and what fell out right then, because obviously this has got to be quick. You know, they caught whatever just immediately fell out and went on. But if you use an average of a 75-pound lamb, you're looking at a total blood volume weight of about six pounds per animal. Okay. So if they were completely bled out, that's you're looking at 600,000 times six pounds oh, wow. of total blood. Right. Um, that equals about three quarters of a gallon per lamb, um, which at 600, so that'd give you 450,000 gallons of total lamb blood on that day. Um, and to put that into perspective, dependent, you know, there's different sizes of tanker trucks, but you're looking at somewhere to the equivalent of 90 to 100 semi-tanker loads of blood that um, it, in total volume, total volume, total blood volume. That's a but lot. that's you a said, lot. You said ninety to 100. ninety to a hundred. Now and and just just for the sake of clarification, if if someone's not familiar with what you're calling a tanker truck, uh, I think probably most people can can draw a mental picture of like a dairy truck that's hauling milk. You know, the big silver yeah. cylinder looking trailers that are ginormous they're on 18 wheelers yes Correct. yeah so that's total volume but it's inter even if you go down to um 10 milliliters um which i know we don't use the um metric system a lot we do in medical stuff but so 10 milliliters is is not very much i mean you're looking at um you know if you like a if you Think about if you get a vaccine at a doctor, you're, you're using a, most of those little bitty syringes are, are three mils. Um, so, you know, you're looking at just, you know, maybe the amount that would fit in the cup of your hand or less, but about that much. So if they only got 10 mils of blood in the basin on 600,000 lambs, you're still looking at about 2,000 gallons of blood. Um, so, which is still going to be a handful of semi-truck loads of blood. <laughs> wow. So, on the conservative side, I mean, you can just, like Brady's talking about those milk trucks, um, you take uh, 
you know, four of those and dump them out in one single place of blood, uh, there's going to be a lot. It's a lot. And that's, uh, that's just catching a few, like you, you said, a handful right. of blood per, per animal. Un, the, un, unbelievable, this amount, this sheer volume of sacrifice. I'm not sure anything, the world's seen anything like this. We certainly haven't. Yeah. You, uh, Americans? Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing, I, that, you know, Brady, you're talking about cleaning it up. Um, I don't, this might sound, I don't know, make some people squeamish, but it, it's amazing how fast blood clots oh, okay. when you, when it falls on the ground mm -hmm. or on the floor or something. Um, and it turns into kind of like a jello type consistency. Okay. And so, I mean, you, you know, you take 5,000 gallons of milk semi-truckload and drop it there. It, in, it's only going to take a few minutes for that blood to, to start coagulating. And now you've got, like, you can't, it's like, like if you put all that much jello on the ground right. and it's like, you know, squishy. Right. I mean, you nearly have to like shovel it out of the way um, instead of it running like water. So uh, it's hard to even so they think the, about. After all, blood uh, is thicker than water. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you, but earlier, Brady, you said that these guys in between these three groups would go and cleanse the flooring, or the, right, yeah, the they steps would. and so on, which had already been plastered over for this purpose, right? Correct. So they must have had a lot of water on hand, presumably. Because it's not like they had uh, high-pressure hoses. Right, yeah, you would think. I mean, they had to because by that point, I mean, you're talking about wading in blood almost by this point <laughs> if if you're not getting it, you know, flushed out and off out into the Kidron Valley. Yeah, they mm -hmm. had that aqueduct seems to me crucial to the whole operation, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Another interesting little tidbit I, I looked up, you'll get a little varying numbers, but... And we we in the U.S. obviously are not a, a huge consumer of of lamb uh, compared to say Australia and some other places. But uh, in the U.S., we harvest around two and a half million sheep a year. Um, so you can just imagine on this one day, you know, where King Agrippa decided to get a count. Uh, and potentially on the light side, we're having what is that a third to a half of total our total U.S. consumption in one day in, of lambs. Yeah. Wow! Incredible. So, considering you know we've talked about all this blood and stuff. Um, you know, the other part of the Passover was then everybody took their lambs home to roast them over a fire. And we've, we've found information uh, in parts of the Talmud that said that each lamb was represented by a minimum of 10 people, correct, Brady? That's correct. 10 people. So that means... 
the, the total number of people in Jerusalem area on that day would have been at a minimum of around 6 million. Um, and so to give you an idea of 6 million people, that is roughly equivalent to the whole DFW area at large, uh, the whole metropolitan area. And so that amount of people would have all been um, gathered around Jerusalem. Um, and then all of those lambs were roasted on a fire um, at the same time. So you'd add 600,000 fires. We'd have 600,000 fires going on with lambs being roasted at the same time in this area of Jerusalem with a minimum of 6 million people, wow. you know, all around. Um, we've tried to put some towns and stuff together to give you an idea of what that would have been like. Um, Jake found that the um, population of Detroit is about 600,000. So that gives you an idea of the lamb number. Um, and then we found in America right now, on average, you could say the household size is around three people. Um, so if you took every home in Philadelphia, or if you live farther west, every home in Phoenix, and had them start a fire and roast a lamb at the exact same time, that gives you an idea of how many fires were going on at the same time in this Jerusalem area. Um, and so there's just a lot of things to think about with that. You, you have that many people. I mean, even like Brady, you've mentioned what, even if you spread it out to, you know, we're here in Weatherford, Texas at Parker County in the whole County. What if you'd had, um, 600,000 fires roasting lambs at the same time. Like how much smoke is there and what would it smell like? And, uh, it, I, it boggles the mind, honestly. It really does. I, I, so imagine six million people packed into Phoenix and every single house is roasting that lamb. Yeah. That's to give a, an accurate mental picture yeah. of it. Yeah, and, you know, those of us that have cooked um, with fires before, um, think about the amount of wood or mm. whatever they, ha I mean, use to run the fire. Because, I mean, you smoke a brisket for, you know, eight hours or something. I mean, you go through an enormous amount of mesquite wood. Mm. Um in that amount of time. And so I, it's, it, volume. It, it's hard to even imagine where the, you come up with enough fire, uh, wood to burn that many fires for that long. Cause it had taken a while to, I don't know of any equivalent event that attracts any number of people, even close to this, let's say that some event in America that attracts 6 million people. No. In, into I, a town that has, you know, let's say 600,000 or whatever the original native population is. Yeah. And you talk about going, the amount of resources required to, 
to cook, you know, the amount of firewood. It's also not like, oh, we only needed enough firewood to, to get the lamb cooked because whatever was not consumed of the lamb and the bitter herbs and every part of, of the meal, whatever was not consumed by the family had to be thrown in the fire and burn up. Mm. And to, I don't know if you've ever tried to burn a carcass before, but it's going to take some resources in the form of wood in the fire to burn up a carcass. I've yeah. heard, I've heard it's hard to burn a carcass. I've never done it myself. Um, I have tried. Um, <laughs> and it is nearly impossible friend to get a fire hot enough. A friend of mine had a, what was it, a... Uh, a goat, I think it was, that died on his property, and he just tried to burn it, and it just ended up smoldering and lingering for a long time. This, yeah, yeah. This it's, uh, you know, I guess you could, uh, maybe we should have looked it up, but, you know, you're talking about needing the heat of a cremation chamber, basically, um, to, yeah, to I know, like, burn a carcass. Like at the pound, you know, of any given city, the the furnace or whatever that that they burn the, those animals that they put down is insanely hot. I don't again, I don't remember the a specific temperature, but it is incredibly hot. Far beyond what's capable with a with a fire in the short amount of time frame that that they do that such as at a crematory, but so probably they ate it all would be my guess. Probably as I bet much they as tried. possible. Yeah. I bet they tried. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, if if you recall, I, I said that they cooked the whole thing with entrails and all. So there's going to be a good portion of that that you probably don't want to eat. Uh, and you still have the bones that oh. need, which is going to be the 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 part that requires the hottest, the most heat yeah. fire. So you know, we've kind of discussed everything surrounding this whole chain of events and everything. But the one thing that I actually had not even thought about or considered was back backing up to the temple and in the temple courts when they are sacrificing the lambs, what gets done with these hides? You're, you know, we're using the 600,000 number. What are they doing with the hide of 600,000 lambs? Well, we, I guess I should preface this that we're not completely sure, but I did find in one, uh, like a Jewish encyclopedia, they thought that the the priests kept the hides and then sold them to make money. And that was, as you can guess, a very profitable venture for them uh, to sell these 600,000 hides. Um, and uh, you know, it didn't give any information as to monetary. It just said it was a very profitable venture for them. Um, and so I don't, I guess I can't say that's 100% what happened, but that was out of a Jewish text that, that the priest kept them and sold them, and that's how they made some extra money. Um, but even right. storing them, I mean, even or if you tanning, a, you know. Even if you made a dollar. I mean, well, it'd be pretty good. Six hundred thousand. Yeah, you know, um, but you'd have to you'd have to process them all. Um, I, I, I mean, I would assume. Well, I when I had my 
when I had the cow that I bought from you processed, I asked the guy, I said, what do y'all do with the hides? And he said, we can't give them away because there's the process of, uh, that it takes to remove all the particles and yes. bits of the, the, what's attached to the hide is too labor intensive. It is very, I, I know when Brady and I were kids and we would hunt rabbits and coyotes and such, we, we did a few, um, I don't know that we actually finished any of them because okay. it's so labor intensive. Not to, it's um, not worth the effort. It's not worth the effort to yeah. get all that cleaned off and um, tanned and all that. So, uh, well, maybe they had some means of doing it. I don't know that was more efficient. You know, presumably, if you submerged it in some kind of water, this is my own speculation, and there was bacteria of a sort, maybe it could eat away at the the fleshy parts and leave yeah, the hide. I don't know. I know. Um, <clears throat> and I, if I recall correctly, Brady, I may be getting my days wrong, but the day following, so they're eating this meal in what we would call the evening. Right. The next day, they were not supposed to do any work, correct? Correct. So... That, and partly why everything had to be burned up. Um, so you can imagine, so we've just spent the afternoon killing 600,000 sheep um, and then cooking them and eating them. And we have all these hides and all of this stuff. And today we're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> and you couldn't, you couldn't cheat. And find some other way to get rid of the remains of the animal and other portions of the supper because there's only so many options when not a single bone of the Passover lamb can be broken. Oh, yeah. And that's a foreshadowing, probably. Yes. Also, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Because mm. that was specified that you couldn't break its Correct. Bone. Right. Yeah. That's in Exodus 12, verse 46. And I want to thank uh, Brady and Brandon for the um, research that they did and the insights that they bring to this uh, podcast, because without them, I mean, there's just, uh, it's not possible to be done if I was solo. So uh, any accolades that this podcast deserves, it's to these two guys. Thanks, Brady. Well, thanks, Jake. But you're you you do a lot of work too. So I was just well, thanks. I was just along for the ride on this one. Utterly overstated on our part. That's for sure. (laughs) Thanks, Jake. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to our podcast about the complete carnage of uh, Jerusalem at the festival of the Passover. We hope we've given you a good idea of the sheer volume of blood, the sheer volume of lambs involved, the sheer number of people, the event that must have been, you know, way different than any festival I've been to. 